This is Killstreak, episode 19. Oh, of course, greetings, future lovers. I am Eric Goslin, and joining me here, as always, is one Mr. Michael Price. How are you, Mike? I'm all right. You say as always, but if you take me for granted, one day I just might not be here. <laughs> That's a great point. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to make a note here to acknowledge... Uh, your dedication to this and uh i will never take you for granted so uh-huh. know that i eric goslin and my future lovers out there will never take you for granted thanks and i'll try my best to do the same <laughs> so we are here today to discuss the movie jason goes to hell colon the final friday mm-hmm. and we'll get to that I'm sure. sure we'll get to that for approximately two hours or <laughs> two and a half hours as we did with Jason Takes Manhattan. Was Is that how long that episode was? I'm pretty sure. I haven't put it all together, but Holy I remember God. looking at my, my hey. the numbers at the end. I mean, it's free content, people, so we're really, you're getting your money's worth. <laughs> yeah, and it's, a, it's the longest of the movies, so it would yeah. make sense that it's the longest of the episodes. Okay. A lot to talk about in that one. Fair. Lots to talk about in this one, but before we get into that, I do want to um, not make a correction exactly, but update the listener. Last week, we were discussing the movie uh, Q, The Flying Lizard. Is that the Sure, The Winged it? Serpent. That's what it is. The Flying Lizard. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> it's like my mom trying to remember something. <laughs> Um, and I had mentioned that there is an appearance of a Highland Park landmark called Chicken Boy, uh, which is a man with a chicken head holding a bucket of chicken. He has a red shirt. Very distinctive. Um, as far as I know, not related to any sort of chain. So it turns out that back in the day, it used to be located downtown before its final resting place. Well, I assume final resting place in Highland Park. Mm. Um, and I can only assume that they shot a pickup in downtown LA in, in, uh, use it as New York in Q. So as far as the records go, it's never lived in New York city, right? No, never has. So I okay. think that's the answer. If you, uh, we ha- you know, this, that episode hasn't dropped yet. So if you are rushing to email me, to call me a fake, to call me <laughs> an idiot for not knowing that rest assured i figured it out um yeah well you know what it's not your job to get everything exactly right um and i think that that's it's an interesting distinction to make because i was thinking uh, in a more broad sense i was thinking existentially about our podcast and Mm -hmm. and the role that we play and the job that we do if you will um and i think that and this is probably going to seem, mm, maybe I might sound a little bit full of myself. Who knows? <laughs> Sometimes I do. This is the note that I wrote down. I said, I think that you and I are doing a real public service. 
I agree. And the reason why is because I think historically we've talked a lot about how critics are just overly hard on horror as a genre. They're not mm-hmm. particularly appreciative of it. And frankly, a lot of genre cinema, um, you know, it's obviously a big blind spot for the Oscars and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side of that, the other end of that spectrum, you know, I read a lot of blogs and stuff, especially when I'm researching. And I think that people who sort of self-identify as hardcore horror fans mm-hmm. can sometimes have a tendency to be way too forgiving. Yeah, like, I completely agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... As someone who would consider themselves to be like a discriminating fan of horror films, but not a fanatic, mm-hmm. it can be hard to find uh, reviews, takes, opinions that I don't feel like I have to take with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, we're not going to be that for everybody, but I hope that we can be that for somebody. I think that's a great uh, point to bring up because a lot of horror fanatics just like any old horror movie i mean you know that's Mm -hmm. that's very reductive what i just said so i apologize but um you know i think you know i really have a lot of experience with this when it comes to trauma movies because uh three i i have made three movies that have been distributed by trauma and so i get a lot of trauma like specifically trauma fans who sure who become fans of my movie and then like follow me on twitter or something um and i don't always <laughs> it's like i i want to be like yeah i like i like a lot of the trauma movies uh you know like toxic avenger that that series trauma's mm-hmm. war sure T- terra firmer was one i really like but there's a lot of them that i just think are straight up bad and yeah I, and but like I feel like a dick being like, well, you know, not all trauma movies are <laughs> worth living the way you live. <laughs> to, yeah, totally. Uh, I almost, that old yeah, phrase just, that people say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> are, are worth being a fanatic about. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good distinction. We are, first and foremost, movie lovers. Yes. And then, in addition to that, we are horror film lovers, but not every single one is going to mm-hmm. be a home run for us. Yeah, just because you made a horror movie doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's uh, especially comes into play with this series. I think yeah. um, a lot of, I mean, at this point, this move, like you know, we'll 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 talk about some other stuff before we jump into the movie uh in depth but i just want to touch on like this is one of a couple different movies in this series that are pretty divisive and there are like a lot of people who really hate this movie yeah um and their reasoning is not always something that makes sense to me you know because it seems to be um based in some i mean i don't know i'm getting ahead of myself because i don't want to get into this discussion about jason goes to hell yet but just suffice to say this is a movie that, um, you know, depending on your level of horror fandom, uh, it's going to make, I think it makes a big difference as to how you view it and then how you end up feeling about it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I do want to table that for a second because I, I want to get into our uh, gut reactions, our blood and gut reactions to this movie. Mm-hmm. But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what we've been consuming media wise over the past week or so. Yeah. Uh, I've watched a couple movies. Um, both of them horror movies i'm like 
fully locked into I only want to watch horror movies now. <laughs> um, so the first one I saw was uh, Doctor Sleep. Have you seen that one yet? I have not. I felt like I should read the book, but I guess I, I don't really sh- need to. I don't know. You I mean, tell me. you you don't need to. The book's interesting. The movie's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I, I'll say, you know, not to bury the lead, I really liked Doctor Sleep a lot. Okay. I think it's weakest points are when it is directly tying itself to the movie the shining okay and um but uh you know obviously no spoilers especially since you haven't seen it i'm not going to spoil anything um i think it's a very interesting movie on its own but really you do have to either read the shining or watch the shining probably watch the shining because i think he tied it more to the movie than he did to the novel the shining okay um, in order to fully appreciate Dr. Sleep, but I think on its own, it's a really interesting, strange movie. Uh, it's directed by Mike Flanagan, who I, I really enjoy. And he did Hush, right? He did Hush, and he did um, The uh, the Haunting of Hill House or whatever. I that... still haven't seen that series. Oh, People it's, love it's it. It's really yeah. good. It's really good. Um, so I think it took a director with his vision – Mm-hmm. Uh, to really fully execute on the novel, which is a weird book. It's just like, you know, it's a novel to, it's a sequel to The Shining like 30 <laughs> years after the fact. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants a sequel to The Shining, honestly. Yeah. So the book is interesting. It's it's more about like addiction and alcoholism um, than it is like spooks and chills and stuff. But it's it's cool. It's it, it, They're both the book and the movie are interesting. They diverge, um, especially in the last act of the movie, but I, I recommend it. Um, it's on HBO max. And I think it's a director's cut. It's like two and a half hours long. It's a long movie. Cool. I mean, it's definitely one. It is on my list. Uh, yeah. So I don't say that to pay lip service. Like I will watch it in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends on when I find the, uh, time and patience to watch all of The Shining and then watch Doctor Sleep. <laughs> yeah, because it really watching. I'm like, I, I just want to rewatch The Shining right now. Yeah, because it is, you know, to be clear, The Shining is a far superior movie to Doctor mm-hmm. Sleep. You know, there's yeah, kind of it's like apples and oranges though. Yeah. Um. Cool. Anything else you want to say about that one? Uh, no. I'm. I think that's uh. That's all, all right. I got to say about that. So I, uh, in the last week, revisited a movie that was an absolute favorite of mine when I was young. And I was... I probably haven't seen it in seven or eight years. Uh, so I've certainly seen it as an adult, but I was curious how it would hold up. And that was the original feature film, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't seen that since and I, It's been a while. Maybe I was just in a good mood, but... I had a blast. I still love that movie. I think oh, it cool. is. I think that the series is great. Um, it was certainly one of my favorites in high school and in college, and I still recommend it to people all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it loses steam a little bit in its later seasons, but like the best seasons and the best episodes of, the, of Buffy the Show are, are awesome. They're also a very different animal. um than the movie and like this is going to sound insane but i hear it starting to come out of my mouth i think i like (laughs) i like the movie better really (laughs) i just think that the concept of the movie like the thing is the concept 
the initial concept for the pilot of the show and the film are the same, in essence. The tone is different. Yes. Yeah. But conceptually, the pitch is the same pitch. But the movie delivers on that pitch while the show spends a ton of energy slowly moving itself away from that initial idea. Right. In my memory, uh, like I said, I probably haven't seen that movie since it was like first on video. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I saw it a couple times after that, like on HBO or something. But it, it's way more – she is way more of a quote-unquote valley girl. Yeah, it, she it, is, it is really like, a cheerleader who is right. – you know, and the thing is, like, the show uh, is, in like, in actuality, like, is written as a sequel. Like, the, mm -hmm. she shows up to Sunnydale at the beginning of the show, having already gone through the events of the movie. Oh, I don't think I was aware of that. Yeah. Or, or at least I didn't remember that when I started watching the show. Mm -hmm. Which is yes. much, way later. I'd never watched it when it was first on TV. Right. So in the movie, she is introduced to uh, he's not really called the watcher uh, in the film itself. But Donald Sutherland in that sort of mentor role has to kind of debrief her and 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 coerce, not coerce, but, you know, talk her into fulfilling her destiny as a vampire slayer. Whereas uh -huh. in um in the show, it's a, you know, she's still trying to avoid it, but it's not unfamiliar to her. She knows what's being asked of her. And when, mm -hmm. when her watcher Giles shows up and says, oh yeah, you gotta kill vampires. She's like, no, I don't want to, as opposed to what in God's name are you talking about? And I think right. that dynamic is really fun. I think it's a really well-made movie. Um, it's written by Joss Whedon. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was my next question. Yeah. It's he had any involvement. So it's directed by Fran Rubel. I'm going to fuck up uh, her last name, but I'm going to say Kazooie. It's K-U-Z-U-I. Oh, you're um, thinking of Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> also, <laughs> Kazooie could be. It could be any number of things. Um, who was the, sh you know, basically, um, you know, she... And it, Joss Whedon is the de facto showrunner of the show, but she is also an executive producer of both Buffy and Angel. Okay. So, so they really work together on uh, on both properties, basically. And then her husband Kaz also worked with them on all three: the movie and at the show and Angel. and Angel. Yeah. But anyways, to make a long story slightly shorter, I love Christy Swanson. I mean. Mm -hmm. I don't totally love her politics these days. Um, oh, is she uh, did, does she diverge from our own? Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> she went she went the uh, you know the nineties really did a number on her, and she ended uh -huh. up going. She went she went the other way. Um, that's also what happens when you marry a rich old white man. Um, you know, you got to toe the company line. So, uh, but that be <laughs> yeah, check him out. Um, but anyways, she's great in it. Luke Perry is great in it. Rest in peace. He's, oh, I forgot he's in it. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Rucker Hauer as the main antagonist is great. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman as the secondary antagonist is very yeah. fun. He's very what I funny. the most, yeah. honestly. Uh, Donald Sutherland, the whole thing's fucking great. I'm going to um, put that on the list because my wife loves Buffy and I like Buffy a lot. I never finished. I, I need to. Mm -hmm. uh, that was like my treadmill or like elliptical show that I'd watch. And, you know, obviously that's not really happening these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's the cast, and like I'm not gonna go through all of them, but the cast is like can even beyond that is full of like really fun surprises that you forget about. Stephen Root plays the principal of the high school. Oh, awesome! It, he's a lot of fun, and then there's just a bunch of people show up all over the place. It's really great. Uh, it's tongue in cheek, but it's like I don't know. It just works. It's a fun vibe, and I enjoyed it a lot. So that's that's my spiel. I still like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, um, the second movie that I've watched this week, in addition to the movie that we had to watch for our podcast, uh, is Life Force, Toby Hooper's Life Force. (laughs) I watched over the course of two nights. Yeah. Um, So, I want to describe a little bit what happened with that movie, because I think it's interesting. This is Um, a movie that previously I spoke ill of on the podcast. Yes. Uh... So I'm trying to find the tweet that I sent to you. Or not the tweet, the text message that I sent to you. So basically what happened is I watched Doctor Sleep. Uh, then it was sort of my wife went to bed. It was me time. And uh, I decided I'm going to finally watch Life Force. I, I had mm-hmm. like started the first minute of it. And then mm-hmm. it was, it's just been up on my HBO Max, like staring me in the face. Yeah. Um, I had previously seen clips of it in the documentary about Canon Films, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's called Electric Boogaloo, the story of Canon Films. or it, It's longer than that, but it's very much worth watching. So I watched – it was already pretty late, and I watched uh, about 50 minutes or so, 45, 50 okay. minutes. And I texted Mike, and I said, I'm a half an hour into Life Force. Um this movie fucking rips and I owe Toby Hooper an apology, a formal uh-huh. apology for calling him yeah. kind of a hack who right. hit it, who like got it right once. Mm-hmm. So then the next day and I uh, said, and what did I say? I said, you said that movie's a mess or something. I, I, I yeah. can't find the text for some reason. I said, yeah, uh, I was like, LOL, that movie's a fucking mess. Yeah. Um, and I will stand by that mm-hmm. first 40 minutes or so. The next day, I watched Jason Goes to Hell. Maybe that had something to do with it. I finished <laughs> Life Force. And so I'd gotten about 50 minutes into it. That movie completely falls apart around minute 52. <laughs> like, and then it just becomes like, wait, what the fuck is happening? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I got to say, at the end of the day, you were right. That movie's a mess. The first 40 minutes, I stand by. It's like... It's mysterious. It's, it mm-hmm. looks great. It look it, it does look great. Yes. Uh Matil- Matilda Matilda, I guess I I shouldn't mm-hmm. pronounce the T the H. Matilda May is mm-hmm. uh like you godly smoke show. <laughs> yes, yeah. And she is nude through like almost the entirety yeah. of that movie. Yeah, she really um, is. And that may have a something to do with my enjoyment <laughs> of it. Um But then once it like really starts to ramp up and you get yeah. to like Patrick Stewart's character. I just didn't know what the fuck was happening. And mm-hmm. it's just like, by the end, it's like, okay, just, all right, just random shit. Now it's uh, la- it gets so loud and confusing and yeah. like busy in a way that is not rewarding. Um, yes. that's kind of how I feel about it in general. It did make me want to try to like check out the book it's based on. Okay. Just the fact that there's a book that, the movie was based on like it's kind of intriguing to me so i might check that out unless it has really terrible reviews in which case i 
I've realized like books, I just can't like I've been toying with the idea of buying the novelizations of these Friday the 13th movies <laughs> and the like books that like are the original, like original Friday the 13th books. Yeah. Books are such an investment time wise that I just, I can play, I could watch a bad movie. No problem. Mm-hmm. Reading a bad book. I have just no interest in. Whatsoever. Oh yeah. No, I can't make it more than 20 pages through a bad book before I'm just like, ah, Christ, you know, it's a chore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like to read good books though. I do like to read <laughs> good books as well. Yeah. Uh, what are you cool. reading these days? We don't, we what don't am I talk re- about books. Oh, sure. You know what? That's a great media diet thing that I can talk about. So I am wrapping up Stephen King's newest anthology, If It Bleeds. Oh, yeah. Um, which is uh, fine. I think it's... Uh, okay. I mean, I, I I enjoy most, if not, if not all, Stephen King. He has a handful of things that I think are bad. And I recognize that he has flaws. I don't think he is a perfect writer, but I think he is no. infinitely digestible. I think you yes. put it that yes. way. It's just like, it's so easy to read King that, like, even if it's not great, it's just, it's over by the time you snap your fingers, unless it's one of his, like, epic tomes, you know? a stand or it or under the dome. And I do think that saying it's easy to read King doesn't mean that the writing is simple. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's written in like plain English. You're not going to struggle reading it. Yeah. I think that's a testament to his skill as a writer. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think, uh, by and like, I mean, as much as anything, that's what contributes to him being so globally, you know, renowned as yeah. just, he sells so many books, you know, for a I, reason. I just think he doesn't get enough credit because he is mm-hmm. such a, he's probably the best, most best selling author of all mm-hmm. time for right. how fucking weird a lot of his books are. <laughs> just like straight up like, wait, yeah. what? Like, like, and I'm not saying like, Oh, how'd you think of that? But just right. like, like, you know, dealing with like existential terror mm-hmm. in like a different plane of existence. Like he, really he's not afraid to just go to some pretty extreme places yeah like the ending of it for example like agreed yes no i i agree with that completely um with regards to if it bleeds i would not give this one like a resounding recommendation uh i'm still wrapping up the final story in it uh which definitely could be interesting it it has Mm -hmm. promise I will say that the the big selling point of the book and certainly the longest novella in it is the title one called If It Bleeds, which is something of a sequel to The Outsider, which was a book oh. that, I, that I liked a lot. Yeah. Uh, so it's a Holly Gibney story. Um, oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. And like, if you liked The Outsider and you want more of that, then I totally recommend it. But... Okay. I will say that as far as King stuff goes, this one gets like a, you know, middle of the road from me. Uh, And if you haven't been keeping up with more recent King stuff, like last 10 years or so, there's a couple that I would probably recommend before this. Specifically, I did like The Outsider a lot. I also Mm -hmm. think one of his books uh, from more recent years that... uh, did not get a ton of attention that I thought was really scary and very effective. Um, 
was uh, it's called Relo. Is it Re- Revival? That's what Revival. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read that one? Um, I listened to the audio book, um, and because of that, I would say it hasn't stuck in my brain as as well as it probably should have. Mm. I, I have a tough time with audio books for novels. Like I do mm-hmm. better with audio books that are nonfiction. Um, but I, I did like it. I remember liking it. Um, but it sort of ha- has left the old <laughs> steel trap of a brain. I have. Sure. <laughs> I, I yeah. did. I, I, I loved, love, love, love eleven twenty two sixty three. I think that's that book is best. great. Yeah. Like, I think it's, I rank it up there with like the stand and it, as far as like his great books go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, that's a great example of a book you could hand to somebody. Not that there's that many of these people left in the world, but somebody who's like, oh, he's just, I don't like horror. And it's like, well, he doesn't just write horror, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, I mean, eleven twenty two sixty three is not a horror novel. Um, no. And, but it's fantastic. Um, and also has a connection to it in it. It's for, uh, I love, mm-hmm. I love, I do love the way he ties all of his worlds together. Uh, yeah. If it bleeds is, I got it for Father's Day. And as people know, uh, if you're a listener to the show, I'm trying to get through all of my Stephen King blind spots that's mm-hmm. on there. I have taking, taken a break, and I'm currently reading uh, part three of Carl Uwe Knusgaard's My Struggle. <laughs> you told me about this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also a book series I, I do legitimately love, even though it is just about the minutia of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um so, but then after that, I am going to get back to Stephen King, and I think I'm either going to read Dreamcatcher or Duma Key. Hmm. Um, so, okay, I know we're going long here about media diet stuff, but Dreamcatcher, I think, was the only Stephen King book my father ever read. Interesting. Oh no, I think he read The Shining actually. But okay. I just think, from what I know about Dreamcatcher, like Stephen King wrote it in his like recovery phase after getting hit by a car. Yeah. And it's like has to do with a lot of body horror and like mm-hmm. specifically like stuff going in and out of your asshole. Yeah. And just thinking of like my father who was not like the most sophisticated of, of readers. Uh-huh. Like this is his latest introduction to Stephen <laughs> King and oh, last man. introduction, you know, to him. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of just cracks me up. I mean, it could have been worse. He could have just watched the movie. Um, oh, I never saw the movie. Uh, oh, it's was... one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, that's why I stayed away from it. But <laughs> I'll, maybe uh, after I read the book, I'll check it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, we'll see what happens here. I think we're going to have an extra long intro, and that's no big deal. And maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll keep our end segment a little short for this app. Um, yeah, sure. But... Uh, Let's jump into our blood and guts reactions to Jason oh Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Eric. Probably one of the most controversial entries in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this would have been a fine, standalone, mediocre to okay horror movie from the mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. If it were called anything else, if it were called like invasion of the invasion of the body snatchers, yeah, or the possessions sure. mm-hmm. instead, it's a fucking terrible Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is a hot take. Um, but 
sort of in line with a, a lot of fandom seems to think about this that it's just they just hate it as a Friday the 13th movie. Uh-huh. Um I feel like I liked this movie about as much as I liked part 6. Oh, that's insanity. Um <laughs> I mean, but you're not wrong. I'm not going to argue with you that it like is a it's a poor addition to the franchise. Mm-hmm. In some ways, but in other ways, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's like it adds a ton to the mythology of Friday the Thirteenth. In that, um, that is my biggest. I'm sorry, not to interrupt you during yeah, your, these initial thoughts. That is my biggest issue with it. This is the this is the Halloween Six of the Friday Mm -hmm. 13th movies where it's just like, let's add so much mythology. Nobody was asking for Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. It, uh, that's not to say it didn't have, I had fun watching this. Like I said, if this were called something else, I would have a fine time with it. Mm -hmm. But I, in its place in the Friday 13th canon, I think it's pretty miserable. Well, let me ask you this. This is the ninth film in this series. Yes. And I know that myself, you know, both of us at various points have sort of pined for just a more down the middle platonic kind of, this is just a classic Friday the 13th movie, especially over the course of the last few. Mm Mm-hmm. However, I think that there's the counterpoint to that is you like you should if you're going to justify continuing to make movies when you're nine, mm-hmm. ten, eleven, you do have to do something different. I think you have to try totally. out other stuff. I uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Um I I think the simplest answer, which is sort of cheating is to say they just shouldn't have made any more of these movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, there's no reason to continue this. They've done pretty much everything they can do mm-hmm. while still appeasing the core fans of the series. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would say if you're going to keep reinventing yourself, they should have done that with every movie, like Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, like... like I mean, there are but, some series that can get away with it. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess so. But also, I mean, I don't think. Like, I am almost a pre. I'm appreciative of the fact that there are a bunch of different kinds of Friday the Thirteenth movies, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of what has made going through this whole series a lot less exhausting than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. because. As much as these movies get knocked for being cheap, they're not. They're studio horror movies. Like, they have low budgets, but there are worlds of cheaper, shittier horror movies below this, like, direct-to-video stuff. And and it's like, there are movies that are truly just one after the other after the other is exactly the same. And I don't think you can really say that about this series. Oh, no, certainly not, no. So the thing is, is it's like... I think this already has been a series that has, there is a lot of reinvention in it. Sure. Uh, so I think to say that it's like, oh, this one, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but to be like, well, this one fucks it up because it does 
it goes in a weird direction. It's like, yeah, but so did half of the other ones. Yeah. You know? um, you bring, and I'm, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so you bring up a good point, and um, I'm, I'm not going to walk back anything I've said so far because uh, I, I do think that it is true. But I, like I said, I did – there's always just a baseline – I enjoy these movies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, this one felt to me more like five than any of the other movies. I mean, I think this is a much better execution of a wild swing than five was. That's just my feeling on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, let me break down my briefest of bullet points to support why this is... I mean, and to be clear, it's like we've sort of taken a pro and con position. Mm-hmm. And this one is like a squarely middle of the road entry for me. This is not yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. one that I passionately uh, love. But I'll, it, and to ahead. be clear, too, I think I, that is where I lie with it as well. Well, you um, said it was awful. I do think it's an awful Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. But I don't think it's an awful movie. Okay. I think there's there's a little bit. Whereas I think five, not to like spoil what my final rankings might be, mm-hmm. five is a bad movie and a bad Friday the 13th movie. Do you sure. Know what I mean? that's, um, that's true. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Here's, here's what I will say about this movie um, in its defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should preface this by acknowledging that We'll talk about this a little bit in a second. I watched the unrated version of this film. And Eric ended up watching on HBO Max the R-rated cut. Right. Um, So I haven't checked all the specifics yet. Eric knows them better than I do. But just suffice to say, my viewing experience included more violence and more nudity, I would assume. Um, Maybe the Uh, same amount of nudity. I don't know. Maybe the same amount of nudity. I. I have seen this one before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my first Friday Thirteenth movie, and I think I probably ever saw it in com- like completely all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the version I saw initially was the unrated version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you are gonna watch this at home, I I recommend getting the unrated version, which you have to go a little bit out of your way for. You can for sure rent it. For to stream on Fandango now, which is available like on any Roku, you know, Fire Stick, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the I cannot speak to whether or not the Amazon Prime version is unrated, and I know for a fact that the Google version is is not. It's R rated, and HBO Max, which is available if you have HBO Max, is also R rated. But anyways, yeah. With that out of the way, which we'll touch on, we'll talk about those differences a little bit more in a second. But here's how I felt about this one. And this is like basically in direct comparison to, let's say, my largely negative feelings about the last, about eight and six. Mm-hmm. And five to a certain degree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the gore in this movie is the best of the series that I've seen so far. Yes. Um, like, hands down it has my favorite kill of the entire series um the effects are awesome and it is so much i mean obviously it's unrated so i'm sure that makes a big difference but to be clear this is an easily available version of the movie this isn't you have to go watch the deleted scenes in port in sd or like shitty quality it's like there's a version of this movie you can watch that is by far the goriest and 
honestly some of the most creative kills, definitely mm-hmm. the most violence on screen. So on the short list of things that I care about in Friday the 13th movies, immediately it is the best of the nine that I've seen in one of the four major categories that I kind of grade these movies on. Mm-hmm. Two, there's as much if not more nudity and sex in this movie than any other movie in this series. So maybe your version did differ from mine. Yeah. For me, there's I'm, only the version I saw, there's only two nude scenes, and they're both this, pretty brief. This has three different nude like there are three different nude actresses in this movie and one of them is in like a 90 second long sexy you know yeah and that was cut down pretty much oh yeah you know what there are three there are three um when they're coming back from skinny Hmm. dipping right yeah yeah is that one of them okay yes so but just saying like these things this movie has what I felt to be a generous amount of nudity versus the rest of the series. It was the absolute best in terms of gore and gore effects. Now there's an argument to be made about the, uh, amount of time that Jason is in the movie, which is a fair argument, but I don't think that it affects the way that kills are executed in this. Like, It functions the same way. It's like part five. It functions the same way, just not with Jason Voorhees at the helm the whole time. Mm -hmm. I think it adds a bunch to the mythology, which you can say is good or bad, but at the very least, like it was different and it had a lot of story to it. And then one more big spoiler, I guess, to my feelings about this movie. I also felt like this had like one of the best... Uh, protagonists of any of these movies. Mm. Uh, but we'll get into that more later. But just all this to say that, like, I found a lot of things to like about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it does not function really well as, like, a f- slotted into a classic Friday the 13th movie, like you said. But I think it has enough of the stuff that I want out of a Friday the 13th movie that it still was enjoyable for me. I guess that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much where I landed on it. And I think also a lot of this is my reaction is probably informed by the popular response. Like I got a lot of positive uh, talk going into part six and found myself disappointed because I didn't feel like it lived up to the positive hype that I had heard. Uh-huh. And this is the opposite where it's like going through these movies and then hearing like this one's sure, the worst sure. To hear anyone say this is the worst one, and then to like sit down and watch it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, yeah. this isn't close to the worst one in this series. Um, and I think that you having never seen this one, and me having seen this one, I, I have seen this one before. Oh, you have seen this one? Okay. Yeah. Um, it had just oh, been it had been a number of years, but I, yeah. I I've definitely seen it probably three or four times before. Um, I don't. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this i don't nothing of what you just said is incorrect in my eyes Mm. um i just think as a friday the 13th movie Mm. it it tries to do too much and doesn't pay any reverence to anything that came before it um and it's introducing new rules and new mythology and too much of it um, and I do, I, that being said, I do appreciate the mm-hmm. swing. 
I, I like I will always go to bat for something that's trying something new, especially with a series that's as you know tired mm-hmm. as part nine of the Friday the Thirteenth series. And I don't want another teenagers getting killed by the lake movie, but I don't know that I want this either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm curious. So, to like, I hear you, and I feel like you, your opinion is shared by a lot of people. But it's like, I'm, and this isn't a challenge so much as to satisfy my curiosity of what's going mm-hmm. through your head. But when you talk about to go back for a second, and you talk about how like there's too much mythology, it tries to do too many things. In what way? And I'm not. I'm honestly not arguing. I'm, what in what mm. way do you think it fails? Like, why is it too much mythology? Uh, because it starts to make familial relations that mm-hmm. previously. I mean, there's the mother aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like this whole thing started because Pamela Voorhees' son drowned right. in 1958, and then she exacted her revenge in 1979, mm-hmm. and then somehow that child is still alive. Whatever. The fact that, like, now it's about, like, oh, Jason also has a sister, Mm -hmm. and he can only be reborn through his weird mouth worm Mm -hmm. that is basically representing the evil inside of his black heart. Yeah. That he can he can become, you know, that's how he's been replicating this this whole time, which is, like, previously... He gets killed. Yes, he gets brought back in fucking mm. dumb ways. Right. But like, this is a completely new thing. I think it's t- it's starting to bleed into my least favorite aspects of the Halloween series, which is okay. like in part two. Oh, Laurie, Stro- Laurie Strode is actually his sister. Sure. In part four, oh, the little girl is his like. Maybe his, I can't remember his niece or something like that. Mm, yeah. And then in part six, it's like this fucking cult worshiping him. And this is the part six of the series. Mm. I, I, I said that before. I'll say it again. It even has a fucking cowboy. Like, like a, <laughs> um, that is like part, I guess the cowboys in part five. Um, and so it's, it's, it starts to just introduce all of these rules, like this, mm. this weird worm, this like body horror right. worm that he, spits into people's mouths why wasn't he doing that in any of the other movies why introduce that specific thing now well i mean the explanation whether you like it or not is there it's because his body was finally completely destroyed and now he has to get a new body right i mean there Mm. is i'm not saying it's a satisfactory explanation but there is there is a reason for that like, and I, I just think that it's, for me, it's like, it's interesting because, and again, this doesn't mean it's fully successful, but whereas you see this as like unnecessary depth and like mythology that's junking things up, I actually find it to be a kind of interesting attempt to make some sense out of a series that has made no fucking sense yeah, up until no, now. That is fair. Like, you you come out of this movie, like it or not, with, like, well, I guess now the events of almost every other movie kind of make sense. Like, I get why he keeps coming back to life. Because he's, he's, you know, he's possessed by a demonic force. 
I wish I just maybe wish these concepts would were to be introduced. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. saying like I wish that this fucking pandemic wasn't happening. Yeah, like, there's nothing that could change this. If this was slowly introduced, like movie by movie over mm-hmm. the course of the nine movies, sure, and not in just all of this fucking mythos yeah. dump in part nine, mm-hmm. it would be a lot easier to swallow. But I think that's that being fair. said, I think there's other things in this movie mm. that don't completely work either. Sure. Um, Let's save those for when yeah. we get into the synopsis. Because totally. I think what I think what you just said about having this all dumped into one movie makes a great segue for a couple important pieces of behind the scenes information. Which is, I think, first and foremost, the reason why this happened is for those who don't know. Uh, this is the first time that Sean Cunningham has come back to work on this series since the very first film. Um, mm-hmm. In between uh, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, and this one, Sean Cunningham arranged for New Line Cinema, and I think along with them, purchased the rights to Jason Voorhees from Paramount, who had basically given up on the character after the immense failure of part eight. Fully, mm-hmm. de- fully deserved, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting piece of trivia that you were mentioning earlier: they did not buy the rights to the title Friday the Thirteenth. They only bought the rights to the character of Jason. So, mm-hmm. as a result, you have a movie called Jason Goes to Hell: The Final Friday, and then the next two films in this series, which are also New Line Productions, again have to use Jason, but not Friday the 13th, so we end up with Jason X and Freddy versus Jason. Um, mm-hmm. So Cunningham explicitly had said that he wanted to reintroduce a lot of the familial elements that he felt were crucial parts of the movie that he made that were lost over the course of the rest of the series. So for better or worse, this was a deliberate direction that they went in. Um and so you can kind of look at Cunningham as he's like the Frank Mancuso Jr. now. They go to get a young director. Uh, the director worked on the story along with a friend of his, uh, with Cunningham sort of producing and shepherding the whole process. And so a lot of this stuff, I think, you're almost seeing like ideas that Cunningham had of wanting to correct the direction of the series over the course of the seven movies that he had zero involvement in. Um, you know something that I heard that it was a great point mm-hmm. it was in, it's in the um, in, in Voorhees We Trust podcast there's never been a director of these movies mm-hmm. that has been excited about working on a Friday the 13th movie this guy was was he? he wasn't a fan he was excited to be working on a movie he was excited to be getting paid he was, like 23. He was 23 years old he was right out of but film school he wasn't yeah. a fan of the series well, I don't know that that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. I mean, for anything. I don't think that... I think there are just as many people who have made total pieces of shit out of things that they love uh, yeah. as there are people who have made really good movies with no real romantic attachment to the source material. It would, it would just be nice at some point in in this 12, 13 episode mm-hmm. and like series... Where somebody's like, "Fuck yeah, I'm doing a, I'm doing a Friday the Thirteenth movie. This is awesome. I have so many ideas that aren't uh-huh. it. You know, we got two more chances. Maybe this guy did have too many ideas. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Although one's a reboot. I don't know. Yeah, 
yeah, nobody's that pumped about making a fucking reboot. Um, yeah, speaking of which, I don't want to, like, blow my top without having the whole story, but I did see something written down uh, where I was reading all about the rights to these movies, because they are actually in the midst of a court case now, which I can talk about. But that apparently, like, three years ago, they were set to, they used the phrase reboot, again this series wow which is such a maddening concept yeah um the only thing like and i feel like the most egregious example of this ever in hollywood is the way that sony has treated the spider-man license over the course of the last 20 years which is just like now luckily tom holland is great and i'm happy that he's spider-man now and he has his own movies and thank god they didn't do another origin story with him Oh God! I don't but, know that order. Those. Yeah, but it's like stop rebooting shit. It's like we don't need it. We don't need a whole movie setting up the story of a of a fucking uh, a character that everybody already knows. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Marcus Nipsel directed the reboot of that and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ugh, man! What a fucking God! What gun for hire there? Also um, a total nightmare on set. Apparently, uh, I worked for I worked for a, a a commercial like producer who had worked with him previously on a commercial, and he's gotcha. a fucking nightmare. So you know, in the last couple episodes, when we've been complaining about how there hasn't been a Friday the Thirteenth movie in so long, do you know what's going on right now? Um, vaguely, but enlighten me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the writer of the original film, Victor Miller. There is a a sort of wrinkle in um, copyright law that basically says that when someone signs away the rights to something they created, after 35 years, you can contest having signed the rights away with the specific reasoning of if the initial value of it was not clear at the time and has changed significantly over time. Um, So he signed away all of his rights to Friday the 13th uh, after writing the first film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for the past 35 years, he has not gotten any money from the series. He got $10,000, I think, in a lump sum. Holy shit. Initially, and that's it. Whereas Cunningham, at various points in time, has been making a lot of money on this, right? Um, And so basically... Uh, there's a confusion that people think, okay, so now Victor Miller is like suing to get a big chunk of uh, the money from Friday the 13th movies. But what in fact has happened is he simply exercised his option not to um, agree to like releasing the rights again. Uh So no one can do anything with it. And the onus is on, uh, I think it's... Cunningham's production company are the, they're the ones who own it right now. So the onus is on them to strike a deal with him so that they can continue to use the rights. So they're actually suing him to try to take away any rights that he has to Friday Jesus the 13th. Christ. Um there's a lot of he said he said stuff to it, but in essence they are in court right now. They went to trial 2 months ago. Wow. Um, and so they're trying to sort it all out, but there's almost certainly not going to be a settlement because they took it to trial. And if you want to know more about this stuff, I highly recommend checking out the Twitter of Larry Zerner, the actor who played Shelley in part three, who is now uh-huh. an entertainment lawyer and has been just for shits and giggles 
tracking and explaining the process of this whole trial to people on his Twitter, and it's very uh, educational. Um, uh, is it Zerner Law on Twitter? Z e r n e r. Yeah, that's yep. him. Mm-hmm. That's so really? he, yeah. So he's got updates on everything, and um, but yeah, I learned a lot about it. So basically, fingers crossed, this gets resolved by the end of the summer, and whoever ends up getting whatever amount of money, I think everyone involved knows they want to make another movie because they want to make more money off this franchise. Um, Man, that is so unfortunate. Of like a guy who got paid ten thousand dollars, a guy who got paid multiple, multi, multiple millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Just throw the guys a, f- a fucking bone and get. Yeah. And just, let's just do this in the best way possible. I'm not saying that Sean. Maybe who knows? Maybe Sean Cunningham's fucking broke now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like, God, it, it, that that shit really kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, so, anyways, to go all the way back to the beginning of this story, the rights shift that happened at, during the production of this movie, Jason Goes to Hell. Um, Paramount sold their half their rights, essentially the Jason rights to New Line, who owns Fre- uh, Freddy Krueger. Their you know their biggest um, mm-hmm. money maker is the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and this was all done with the intention of finally making this Freddy versus Jason movie that everyone had been clamoring for, and that they couldn't make happen when they wanted to do Part Seven, right? So. Yet again, they get the stop sign put on because Wes Craven, right before they were trying to start pre-production for Freddy vs. Jason, decides he wants to come back and do New Nightmare, Mm. Um, which I'm glad he did because I really like that movie. Um, But this totally put the brakes on the Freddy vs. Jason movie, and since they had just bought the rights to this, they essentially said, okay, well, we'll make a Jason movie in the meantime until we can finally make a Freddy vs. Jason, which... Spoiler, they got held up again and had to make another Jason movie in between. But yeah, that's kind of how this all came together. So to your point about it maybe not being uh, the most... um, It's not like they put the most thought into making it. uh, Because it was basically something... I don't want to say they slapped it together, but it was definitely like... They were not initially planning to make this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, did you have, I'm sorry, did you have more to, uh, sound like you're wrapping up? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, we've used up so much time. I won't go over the cast individually other than to say it's a lot of TV actors with a lot of experience, a lot of familiar faces from the small screen. Uh, and the one that's really noteworthy is that our sort of male protagonist lead, Steven, is played by an actor named John LeMay, who had been the lead on the Friday the 13th series. Right. Um, is he the one that gets turned back into a kid, or is he... Uh, I never yes, watched the yes, Friday. Yes, he is, yeah. So he's the lead in the first two seasons who who left, and yeah, his character gets turned into a baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by Leslie Jordan in the movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I I recognize him as just like, oh, yeah, that fun short guy, but I don't really know him very well from anything in particular. Oh, he's fun on Twitter right now. He has a lot of great quarantine okay. tweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, That's great. Or, or uh, maybe it's Instagram or something, but I, I just see it on Twitter. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so you've got a brand new director we alluded to. Adam Marcus was 23 years old when they started shooting this. So young. Yeah, insane. First feature film right out of film school, NYU. He won an award for a student film, and they were like, yeah, fuck it. We'll have him make this movie. It's uh, sort of like how a lot of the um, action like the like Stallone or Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. they'll hire like this like fresh out of yeah. film school guy because they're easy to push around. You yeah, know what I mean? and that's I think that's Cunningham here for whatever reason. I don't know the specifics of why Cunningham didn't just direct this, but mm-hmm. yeah, that seems to be the case. Or it's just like yeah, you're gonna do what I tell you to do. <laughs> um, um, yeah. And uh, my from what I've heard and my little bit of research I've done. Uh, Adam Marcus not a very big hit with the actors in the movie. That's not surprising. I mean, it's tough to, especially if you've got a bunch of TV actors who are used to things like being like fucking on the rails. Yes, you know, yes. because yep. like TV is the kind of thing where there are so many structures in place that it's just like you just plug in it's like plug and play filming when you compare yeah. it to feature films right it's the kind of thing where every week they're doing in essence the same thing you're swapping out lines and sets sometimes and actors but it's like it's a properly made tv show runs so smoothly compared to a feature film yeah and then you got this kid who's 23 and probably doesn't know shit about working with professional actors yeah, I could see that being a real recipe for disaster. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's all we need to know. Um, you mentioned the uh, Texas Chainsaw reboot. Adam Marcus did go on to have a screenplay story credit on Texas Chainsaw. Um, oh, no shit. Yeah, and um, yeah, the uh, the writer of this as well... Uh, one of the writers, Dean Laurie, who's going to make a cameo that I'll call out, um, has a ton of uh, production experience and writing experience as well. Um, he worked on Arrested Development, among other things, oh. which I thought was kind of cool. Um, awesome. Yeah. But anyways, that's pretty much it. We've we've spent a long time gearing up to get into this. So, uh, in fact, this is by far the longest intro ever for our pod. Yeah. Thanks so, for sticking with us guys <laughs> yeah so if you're still interested <laughs> yeah all um, right guys we're gonna take a quick break uh hear a word from our sponsors and we're gonna get into recapping this movie okay this is the first time we get this but new line cinema presents not a paramount joint anymore Mm-mm. uh we cut to a convertible a black convertible speeding to camp crystal lake uh, there's a woman behind the wheel. She gets to the cabin. Uh, there's a whole lot of business where her bulb burns out. She goes to the storage shed, gets a new uh, bulb. I like her Mets cap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the way she's dressed. <laughs> she has like a, a white cable knit sweater under like a red parka. Um, and then she goes to take a shower, takes off her cap. We get long, flowing mm-hmm. hair. So much hair. Yeah. And we, um, we get a lot of business here with the mirror of the shower uh, or mm-hmm. the bathroom. And, like, I want to call out that what's happening through this whole sequence is they're, they're like, really giving us classic Friday the 13th vibes. Yes. And, like, classic slasher stuff. And they keep doing this. The mirror, the, the you know, the... Um, the drug, uh, what do you call it? The drug, uh, 
Drug cabinet. Drug cabinet. Medicine, medicine, medicine cabinet. cabinet. Thank you. The medicine cabinet mirror opens and then closes, and you expect to see Jason appear behind her. Yeah. And it doesn't happen, and then it happens again, and he's still not there, and you're like, well, that fucker's got to show up sometime. Yeah. yeah. In Crystal Lake Memories, they're saying that like they just wanted to cram in the greatest hits of a Friday mm-hmm. the 13th movie within like the first 10 minutes of yeah. this movie. Uh, and it feels, it feels like it. Uh, to the point where I was like, oh, I think I like this one. <laughs> um, and so we get some early nudity. Very um, early and very nudity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe it was, maybe it was less mm-hmm. for the version I saw. Uh, she looks so 80, uh, sorry, so 90s. There can be no mistake from what decade this took place in. She's wearing like high cut briefs and has mm-hmm. a lot of like very big long hair. Do you know that? You have seen this woman naked at least two other times. Oh hell no! I you don't. Didn't, but you didn't hell know yeah, this. Also, um, uh, no. Okay, so her name uh, is Jody Michaels. No, not Jody. It's Michaels. Fuck. See, I'm terrible. I'm blowing my whole job. <laughs> uh, here, hold on. It is blah 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 blah. Julie Michaels. I was so close. Julie. Her name is Julie Michaels. She is very naked in both Roadhouse as like as the blonde, as like the bad girl blonde who like gets dances on the table, hangs out with uh, what's his fuck's crew. Is she wearing like a denim vest in that? (laughs) I'm sure at some point. Uh, and she also is naked and insane and violent in Point Break. She's she has a big role oh. in the in the drug bust scene with fully, uh, with uh, Anthony Kiedis and uh huh and all those other guys. Yeah. Uh, and then after not long after this, she became a stunt performer, and to this day, she works very steadily as a stunt a stunt woman and a stunt coordinator. That's funny because she does do some stunts in this that I was sort of impressed by. I'm sure she did her own stunts for this. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, so uh, the door opens, and then Jason jumps out. Oh, sorry, she gets out of the shower. Jason jumps her, basically jumps out at her. She falls off the balcony, which is that stunt I was mm-hmm. talking about. Lands on a table. Uh, it breaks, and she runs outside. Jason chases after her. Uh, he he looks fucked up. He looks His like head shit. is so lumpy, and he's got hair. He's got like this long wispy hair. It's yeah. gross. It is gross. Uh, and it's like his skin is like growing into his mask, mm-hmm. which I do. I think that's a fun. It is cool, touch. and it's the first time we see that. Uh, is this the first movie that we haven't seen his face in? Because I don't think they show his face at all in this one. Oh, um... uh, no, yeah, they do. I was going to say, they don't show it in 8, but they show it in 8, and it looks like shit. Yeah, it looks like absolute shit. I think you're right. I mean, except for uh, 5, but, you know, he's sure. not yeah. really in it. But Ghost Jason never shows his face. Right. Uh, so he chases her through the woods, and then suddenly these floodlights come on, and it's a fucking FBI raid. <laughs> and they just shoot the shit out of him. <laughs> There's like 20, uh, 20 feds assault rifles 
And yeah. then they'd start dropping the mortars on him. <laughs> he mortars, and a mortar just blows him the fuck up. It yeah. looks cool. This is awesome. I mean, regardless of what you think about this whole movie, if you're not into this opening, I don't know what to do for you. I think it's a good opening. Yeah. I really did. I did enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I do yeah, think... Like I said, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I like this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, he does... He, like, grunts when they shoot him, and it's weird. He like, yeah, he makes a lot of noise. He shouldn't make noise. Um, and I also just wrote a note down that this FBI, the female FBI bait agent, like, they gave her a pretty long way to have to run to get yeah. to, <laughs> to get to the sting site. It's like, they put a lot of faith in her ability to get away from Jason Voorhees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, a lot could go wrong in that yeah, time. Maybe just set it up right outside the house. I don't know. <laughs> So he blows up, everybody cheers, his head goes flying through the air, then his heart is on the ground, still beating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody is watching from the from the woods, and we meet Creighton Duke for the first time. <laughs> Not the last time. No. Well, the last time in this series, but <laughs> Creighton Duke. Sadly. And he's like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love Creighton Duke. Yeah. Uh, so then we fade out on his heart beating and slowing down then we get the title card jason goes to hell the final friday yeah shitty title card yeah it is uh so then we're at a federal morgue in youngstown ohio his body's being wheeled in his blackened heart is just in some sort of like microwavable tup like tupperware, tupperware dish yeah <laughs> um there's a there's a really new score Her- harry manfredini is back and i he's do, back i don't care for it it is very 1990 like early yeah. 90s it doesn't sound great i agree uh the coroner phil is examining the pieces his body's all fucked up did you recognize uh, phil no i didn't i just it, the one thing i knew him he's in a lot of stuff but he's he plays one of the cops in the uh, in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> that, oh no shit! Like the, you know, because uh, the other guy is like the redheaded dude who's in the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. Mm. Uh, he's like, yeah, I wouldn't hold up much hope for the tape decks. That guy says in his like bright shiny voice, and then this <laughs> the other guy goes or the Credence, you know. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's that guy. So, anyways, <laughs> he has a great voice. He, he does. really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, in my professional opinion, this guy's deader than shit. <laughs> um, he, he observes that Jason's heart is twice the size of a normal heart, and it's filled with like a black viscous fluid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's not blood. Uh, and then it starts beating on the table. He's freaked out. So he keeps touching his face and getting like blood all over his face. Yeah, he's he's losing it. It's gross. Uh, and he's transfixed by the heart, and he picks it up and starts eating it. He's just making these crazy noises, and it's like throat is bulging mm-hmm. out. These energy pulses fly through the air and go into him. And he starts and then, uh, barfing black viscous fluid. Oh, maybe not in the cut I saw. Oh, God, dude, it's so gross. <laughs> oh, I, I'd be... I should check it out again. I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, he's it's like it's like spewing out of his mouth and like dripping down his chin and it's just like yeah, it's like black oil just going everywhere. Oh wow. Uh and then some other nerd who works there <laughs> comes in with pizza. 
Writer cameo. This is Dean Laurie, one of the writers oh. of the script. <laughs> I like it. He giggles when they frisk his butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, we should say one of the security guards uh-huh. is played by Kane, Kane Hodder. Yeah, a little Kane Hodder cameo. He's got a mullet. <laughs> yeah, he does. Does he ever? Um, He starts talking to Jason's blown-up body and calls him a fat-ass, maggoty, blown-up fuck. He's like, I'd like to take a big old mango-sized crap on your mask. Yeah, classic mango-sized crap. Uh, and then Phil, Jason Phil, grabs him, throws him onto this like grated table and jams a probe in his back. And there's this great shot underneath the table of his face getting pushed through the yeah, grating. it's really gross. Super gross. Yeah. It's like all squared. Yeah, right off, gross. right off the top here, uh, I just want to shout out. So all of the practical effects in this one are done by uh, K&B, who, for those who are not familiar, um, they're a really big special effects group, uh, especially in horror movies, but they work in all sorts of stuff. Um, right now, they're most famous for being the guys who do all the Walking Dead stuff. But yeah. yeah, it's a it's, it was like a group of three really uh, already like well established special effects guy Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger K and B um, that put this company together, and they're responsible for so many of the great gore effects and so many things that we all know and love. And they do a great job in this one. This one has probably, like I said before, and we're gonna get to it soon. My favorite kill in any of the mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Uh, and the gore in this one is on par with like part four, which I think also has some of the best gore in the series. Yeah. Uh, especially after like six, seven, eight are relatively like bloodless Mm -hmm. and disappointing in the gore aspect. Yeah. So not to divert us some more, but I did, I did have a conversation today with a friend who, who knows more about this stuff than I do. And everything that he told me, he said to take with a grain of salt, cause it's kind of secondhand info. But I had essentially asked like, is there a reason why the MPAA would let you get away with significantly more like in, at this point in 1993 than they would in 89 or 88, 87. Right. Um, and the short answer was the degree to which no one knows how this shit works would blow anyone's mind. Like uh-huh. the the one thing that I really took away from our conversation was that there are no rules. Like there is nothing codified by the MPAA that says like you can do this, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I got from the conversation was just that essentially like as you know what as you would expect like as the world shifts so does the mpaa um but i'm also curious if like the switch from paramount to new line had anything to do with this because i know maybe yeah there are studio relationships with the mpa and things like that um and and also like paramount is a major film studio mm -hmm. their shit probably got watched more closely yeah because like or even around this time low budget movies uh, are coming out that are, I think we brought this up last time mm-hmm. in the last episode, maybe that are way gorier than yeah. like the Friday the 13th movies, but Friday the 13th Definitely. was probably just such a cultural 
like touchstone mm-hmm. that they're easy to look at. And be like, well, the kids are gonna go see this one, and yeah. everybody loves hor- uh, slashers, so let's punish it. Definitely, and I think I mean over the course of talking about this movie, you'll know better than me too how much of that gore actually slipped through because I saw the unrated version, which was fucking gory as hell. <laughs> it was yeah. great. Um, but I don't know how much is missing from the R-rated cut. Uh, so we get a body count of one, and then we uh, there's a fictional TV show called American Case Files, very much like a hard copy or inside edition mm-hmm. uh, that was very popular in the 90s. Um, they're doing a story about everybody in the morgue is dead. Two guards, dead. So I guess body count of three. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil, the coroner, is missing. And we meet Robert Campbell. He's the sleazy host of it. Oh, who I... Features pretty prominently later in the movie. And he is a fucking... You can um, just tell from the beginning he's a total sleaze. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, he gives some backstory on Jason. And he brings up Elias Voorhees. Um, he's the child of Elias and Pamela Voorhees. And Elias was the deleted alternate ending to part six um, that mm-hmm. they were going to introduce Jason's father. So I do, I do dig that they're bringing, I know I complained about the familiar shit, right. familial shit in the movie, but I do like that they're honoring, uh, that past yeah. deleted scene, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> there's a news speak news piece on Cray- uh, Creighton Duke, the bounty hunter who is hunting Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Um, there's a, a, such a weird line that they play, I think, twice. Or maybe, no, maybe I just watched it twice. You watched, I watched it twice. <laughs> I did. I watched it twice because I watched the, uh, what the unedited version looked like. Uh, and the, the, the reporter is like, Jason Voorhees, what's that make you think of? It's like, yes. It's what, made... <laughs> he does it like a Rorschach. Like he's like, I'm yeah. going yeah. to say two words and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> Jason Voorhees. That makes me think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a pink donut. Yeah. It's really... <laughs> what the fuck? It, it would be funny if it wasn't gross and borderline pedophilic. Yeah. yeah. It's... It was mind-blowing to listen to. <laughs> it was certainly shocking. Yeah. No question about it. Uh... uh it's so delivered with, with that, real gusto, though. This guy is great. Uh, the actor, Stephen Williams. Yeah. He's a big TV actor. And he, oh boy, does he play this role. <laughs> oh, he acts the shit out of this. He's just having fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like he's really having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he says, what you think of as Jason is not Jason. The body around him is just meat. The true Jason Voorhees is something you and I have never seen before. He's the only one, and he's the only one who could put an end to him for the small price of half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, so he goes full Quint in Jaws here, not, uh-huh. not only demanding the bounty, but then his closing line in this art. Did you write this down? Did you write it down his line? Um, He's the only one who could put an end to him? Yeah, so no, he. this is like a direct call out to Jaws where he says, for $500,000... I'll get you the mask, the machete, the whole damn thing. Oh, I didn't write that down. Which is like very similar to the line Quint delivers about the shark and Jaws. That's amazing. Um, 
So five more murders have happened on a direct path from Ohio from the morgue to Camp Crystal Lake. So Jason is on the move. He's killing people in his path. Mm-hmm. We still don't know where Crystal Lake is. <laughs> we still don't know. Uh, and then uh, we're in a diner, Joey B's. Um, yeah. There's a waitress in the back room of the diner, Diana. She's watching all of this. Uh, the diner's running this two-for-one Jason burger sale. They're selling Voorhees burgers, mm-hmm. which are shaped like hockey masks. Uh, the owner, Joey, is this big, brassy lady with glasses. Um, she never stops swearing. Creighton Duke is there. He says, I'll I'll take a Voorhees burger and a side of Jason fingers. <laughs> so they're turning this whole, like, J- uh, Camp Crystal Lake murders into a tourist, uh, uh, a tourist attraction. Yeah. Uh, he tells Diana that he needs to get her to help him get Jason, and that Jason's coming for her. Um, and she asks why. And he's like, "I know everything about you. I know who you really are." So then the chief's, uh, who is Diana's boyfriend, the chief uh, the, or mm. the sheriff there. Yeah. I think they call him chief, but he's a sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes to Diana's rescue. Duke is real fucking pervy to her. Yeah, and I will say that this whole exchange makes sense now that I've watched the movie. But when I watched it the first time, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah, it's like totally. very confusing what he wants from her and who she is and all this stuff. Yes, yeah. I agree. Uh, he tells he tells the sheriff's like, "Why don't you blow me, Chief?" Right <laughs> after your girlfriend, and Duke gets kicked the fuck out of there, <laughs> understandably. Yeah. And I guess apparently arrested because I'm not sure why he's in jail later. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> uh, so then we meet Stephen, the protagonist of the movie, our first. Male protagonist. I guess Tommy, Tommy counts. Yeah. Tommy, yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry. And this role was originally supposed to be for Tommy Jarvis. Oh, really? Yeah, but I think that maybe it was a rights thing or just a rewrite. One of the two. They moved away from it. But at one point, oh. the script had Tommy Jarvis in this role. I would have liked that. I, th- I think I would have liked the movie more if it was Tommy. Uh, if nothing more than just to make some sort of connection to the previous movies yeah yeah uh so we see steven um he's talking to diana about her what turns out to be her daughter jessica steven and jessica were married and he wants to talk to her about her then he'll come by her house at 11 to talk to her uh and then he passes by some hitchhikers three teens i guess um they're going to camp crystal lake and he's like, are you planning on smoking a little dope, having some premarital sex, and getting slaughtered? Um, they don't get so the joke. <laughs> they don't get the joke. It's real self-aware for, for this movie. One of the girls is really into Steven. She is. For some reason. Um, and I wrote down that they she's really trying to get him to go swimming and camping with them. And she even dangles the promise of skinny dipping out there. Yeah, and at one point, Stephen says the line, "Oh, to be young again." Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just wrote down, "Oh, to be young again." Says thirty-year-old guy as I cringe, <laughs> just like get depressed. <laughs> but it's also talking to like a twenty-five-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it doesn't make sense for him to say, and then hearing him say it makes me go, "Oh God." 
And then, God forbid, what does my dad feel like? <laughs> um, yeah, so she drops a skinny dipping line, kisses him on the cheek. Yeah, she's um, digging it. She is really digging it. So then we cut to them. They're coming back from skinny dipping. Unless in your, did we see them skinny dipping in your version? Uh, no, we didn't. And I'll tell you this: I uh, I hate to cheat on you while you're talking, but I did manage to pull up like a beat, but blow by blow of what's different in the unrated version. Um, okay. And so I did confirm that the black bile stuff that I was talking about that was all extended stuff in the coroner scene. Okay. Uh, and then here we see them around the campfire longer and then there's a ton of business with Luke and Deborah that's there's like legitimately like two minutes of added footage. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're back from skinny dipping. We get some boobs. Um, and I, I didn't write the girl's name, but the one who has the boyfriend asks the other girl, like the strawberry blonde, uh, do you mind if we use the tent for half an hour? She's like, well, I'll just use it for the whole night. And she's going to sleep under the stars, which I noticed with no pillow. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that too. And I was like, that shit's going to be really uncomfortable. Like um, wet hair and no pillow. And also just like signs of more signs of bad planning on their part. It's like, what does she think was going to happen? Like she going with a horny couple and then she's yeah. third wheel. And it's like, yeah, of course they're going to fuck the whole time. They should have all just fucked. I don't know what they were thinking. But. I know. Well, apparently the actor was pushing for that. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> oh, also, he was the girl uh, that he's with was his real life ex-girlfriend. That's right. And they had broken up right before the filming of this. Um, yeah. Um, I'm afraid you're going to be you're going to be sad about the level of your volume. You might want to get a little bit closer to your microphone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so no, I appreciate appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. I was leaning back too far, you guys. I was very casual. He's getting real comfy. It's late. You know, it's late for you. It is. Um, so she can't sleep. She gets up to get take a piss, and uh, we hear a twig break behind her, and it's Phil, Jason, and he slashes her. In my version, mm-hmm. it's hard to know what's happening. So but we, I watched. Yeah, we see more. Yeah. Yeah, we see more of her getting cut up. Uh, body counts up to four. The couple in the tent are rolling around. We get some dude butt, um, which is always welcome. My version had extra dude butt. Really? There's an extended sequence of him getting undressed. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then she, she gets up to go pee really quickly. Mm-hmm. Then when she's back, he refuses to wear a condom. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, pretty cool. He's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. He's like, oh, honey, you know I hate these things. It is. He he delivers the line like a perfect piece of shit. Where it's just it's kind of whiny and it's just like, oh, you know I hate those things. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, okay, okay. So then uh, they raw dog it, apparently. Yeah. So before this, I said to my wife, like, this is my favorite kill mm-hmm. in any of these movies. Mm-hmm. But in the version I saw, so she's kind of like, like leans back. Yeah. And then we see. And to also to clarify, I have 30 more seconds in my version of the two of them fucking. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because it's pretty quick in the version I saw. Oh, no. It's like, I was like, Jesus, this is a long sex scene. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, in the version I saw, basically, we see, like, Phil Jason stick something through the tent. You can't even really tell what it's it is. A, it's a street sign post. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then we don't see it go into her. We just see blood fly onto his face and Mm -hmm. then the scene's over yeah so in my version uh she is we are watching her ride him and from behind her this post bursts through the front of her chest and we see it fully extend like a foot out like right from below the bottom of her rib cage it's very gruesome i gasped i was like (laughs) oh that is dope as if that was the whole kill but no, blood splashes all over his face. Then we cut back and Jason like yanks it upwards, separating her in two, going yeah. out through like her clavicle. And then her body flowers open, like yeah. literally splits in half and one half of her like droops over. And it is gruesome. And it it's- looks so good. <laughs> It looks so good. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. That was like, like my friend would be like, who showed me the movie, like, you have to see this scene. Mm -hmm. And that was like mind blowing. And I was looking, I was so disappointed that uh, that it, so that when it happened, it didn't, when it did not happen, I was like, well, maybe it's in Jason X then. And I'm just remembering it wrong. But yeah, then I went back and confirmed that it was yeah. just I was watching a bad version. I mean, like you, you, you basically were making this point when we were texting. But I think for this death scene alone, you should do yourself the favor of making sure you watch the unrated cut because it was I. I mean, it was easily the goriest thing I've seen in this entire film series. Yes, one hundred percent. Um, and then, so then we cut to Diana outside the diner. She's bringing food to a dog named Tango. That doesn't come back. I didn't need to write that down, but I did. Um, <laughs> hey, we got to fill time here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets scared by Deputy Josh, who's there to pick his girlfriend up. And those two cannot wait to fuck. Yeah. They're- and <laughs> this at this point. Yeah. So sorry. I cut you off. But. I just wrote down, man, these local cops are really running game at this diner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) These guys are just fucking all the waitresses. (laughs) Uh, And then so as she's getting into the car, Jason slash Phil quickly runs up and just squishes her head in the top of the car. And we hear it like cave in. Yeah, Uh, It's really quick and shocking. Uh, body counts up to seven and then jason phil is strapping deputy josh onto a table at the Voorhees house at the Voorhees house we see we don't know that yet no we see a sign out front yeah oh i missed it then yeah because i i I wrote down oh there's a Voorhees house that's the first time we've ever seen that in this series yeah but yeah we see it very reminiscent to the myers house in i guess you know part two four five like mm-hmm. the later sequels of halloween uh and then he shaves his face <laughs> so in in the Ugh. crystal like memories the director of this 
said that he wanted to have equal amounts male nudity with female nudity, which is something I respect and something we did in Yeti too. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this scene specifically, he just wanted he wanted like fans of Friday the Thirteenth to be bummed out and be like, "Why is this in here?" <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get it, like, because I think you had a lot of this, I mean, in your earlier movies and even much later on, but I remember engaging in a lot of the same kind of humor when I was a teenager, making stuff where it was just like, you, you know, you do a lot of stuff, you'd, you'd put a lot of homoerotic content into things. Because we enjoyed the idea of making homophobes squirm, essentially. Exactly, yes, you know, yes. It's mm-hmm. like you want to put something in there that's just like... It reminds me of Wet Hot American Summer. There's the great sex scene with Bradley Cooper and Michael Ian Black. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, famously, I watched that in the dorms once with my very good friend Mookie. And then mm-hmm. this girl who lived on our floor, she brought like two of her friends from high school who were like central mass like really bro yeah. dudes <laughs> we're watching wet hot american summer and that sex scene starts and they're like fucking in a shed and these guys lost their minds they were like this is fucked up what are oh my god like I really can't, i can't fucking believe you watch this shit this is fucked up and oh like left the room and I oh was like, God. and I was like, that's amazing that is that's the response mission accomplished yeah that is yeah. what you want yeah yeah so, uh, and then Jason open mouth kisses him. We don't see the reason why. Uh, body count eight. I wrote. It's hard to know when he's like transferring bodies. What's it? Well, we yeah. Body we count. know later on. We can infer that. Uh, yeah. Phil Jason would would have died right after this kiss. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Diana's phone rings. It's her daughter, who has to be like three years younger than her <laughs> her daughter's yeah they cast the daughter way too old and they probably cast the mom a little too young <laughs> yeah her name's jessica she's holding a baby and she has a new boyfriend that she wants to introduce to her mom the mom diana doesn't know it but we see it's robert campbell from american case files oh that shithead yeah <laughs> uh and then deputy joss josh slash jason is what uh, that's hard for me to say is walking the streets. Um, okay. So he bursts into her house, attacks her. She shoots him in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, while all this is happening, her daughter note, like because of the commotion calls the sheriff. Um, but Josh is still alive. He grabs her. Uh, he grabs her. He tries to spit the worm tongue thing into her mouth. It's- basically like that. It's gross. It, it looks, looks like, like a big log of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's disgusting looking. Uh, Steven arrives because he has that date to talk about Jessica with her at 11 p.m., which is fucking <laughs> late. Do you think they're infer? Are they implying that Steven is fucking the mom? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. I didn't, I didn't pick up on I that. I mean, that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> um, he tackles Josh. Josh fucks him up, grabs a knife throws it at diana right into her back um steven stabs him with a fire poker through the through his torso and throws him out of a window 
And then she tells Stephen, Diana tells Stephen as she's dying to save Jessica. She passes away, body count up to nine. Mm -hmm. The sheriff arrives. Stephen says it was Josh who did all of this, but Josh's body is gone. So Stephen is arrested and brought to the police station. Yeah. Right here I wrote, because we've got like all these old dudes and this old lady just died. And I was like, you know what? There's no teens in this movie. There really aren't. Just the skinny dippers, I guess. And even uh, them. I took them added. to be in their 20s, you know. And I think that that scene was added after the fact. Like yeah. They had shot the movie, and that was just like a, like, hey, you need more, you need a bigger body count. And some boobs. And some boobies. Uh Jessica and her baby arrive at Diana's house. Some girl who knows Jessica is there cleaning up Diana's blood. <laughs> it's another waitress. <laughs> Yeah, Vicky, I Vicky, think her name yeah, is. who went on to have a recurring role in The West Wing as Leo McGarry's daughter. Oh, I actually have never seen The West Wing. Oh, it's great. Parts of yeah, it. I should. Um, yeah, it's like that's his Sorkin in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, the funny um, thing is actually the Sorkin seasons are very good, and then the parts that are so so are the ones after he left. So. Uh, okay. I think The West Wing is the best Sorkin, probably. Except for the social network. I don't know. I think the newsroom might be the best. <laughs> just, just kidding. The show fucking sucks so bad. <laughs> did, you, did you ever see... I, I'm about to spoil uh-huh. a major spoiler Do it. for the, the newsroom. So, you know, click that fast forward button a couple times. <laughs> did you see Sam Waterston's death in that? No. It is hilarious. I had already bailed on newsroom, and I think mm. either Joe Mandy... Or Paul F. Tompkins had just tweeted his death out of context, <laughs> and it is fucking hilarious. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll send it to you. All right, uh, we'll put that's it. That's all I'll say. About we'll that. put it on our Twitter and our Facebook for everybody else yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So in the police station, Stephen makes eye contact with his ex-wife Jessica. There's a a good cop, Randy who believes that Steven is innocent. He, he knows like, Oh yeah. He just trusts him. Gets locked in a cell. Jessica leaves her baby with uh Vicky mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't, I don't I'm not sure why she's got shit. She's got to do. She's I got guess. Shit to yeah. Do. yeah, you're right. So Creighton Duke is uh in the neighboring cell. Mm hmm. He's making fun of Steve, saying, you you about the saddest-looking sack of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> then he tells Steve that Jason is the one who killed Diana, and he's the only one who knows how to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is something I maybe just missed this time around. Uh-huh. What is Creighton Duke's relationship to Jason? Does Is that ever it's not clarified. established in the movie but apparently uh he's just like his girlfriend or something was one of jason's former victims um i think is, okay. is that was the writer's justification or whatever but it, they leave it vague what the relationship is yeah like how does this guy know so much about jason and how to kill jason specifically well that's his raison d'etre you know he is about he is a bounty hunter who is the guy who is obsessed with Jason Voorhees. Like that's, that is his character in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. That is his character in a nutshell, (laughs) but why? (laughs) That's what I want to know. You're the one who's pissed that they tell you the answer to too many of the why questions in this movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that 
because like a fucking worm comes out of Jason's mouth to possess bodies, but only his bloodline can host his new body. I don't know. That's the shit that drives me nuts. That shit makes sense to me. (laughs) But this is like, why, how does, who is this guy? We've never seen him in eight movies previous to this. Well, you didn't know who Quint was before he showed up and just decided he was going to kill his fucking shark. Yeah, but that's part one. So? That's the first movie. So? So do you want to amend your like experts in horror movies to include Creighton Duke? I don't think he's going to make the the top five. <laughs> if we're being honest, he might be number six. Honestly, if, <laughs> if I is the Van Helsing of the yeah, Jason series. If I didn't feel so queasy about the hot dog donut thing. Like, honestly, if he just said it reminds me of a beautiful woman in a pink dress putting a hot dog through a donut, I'd be fine with it. Sure. Why is it a fucking I, I little girl? I don't understand it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a hat on a hat, man. Um, I think it's more than that. It's, it is more than that. It's disgusting. <laughs> You're right. It is disgusting. Uh, so, as payment to get information from Steve and Duke breaks his fingers oh, I, one by one. See, I feel like you are... So this is a classic Eric Gosson doesn't like this movie. So he's going to gloss over what I think is maybe the best scene in this movie. This is, I ate this shit up. I didn't dislike it. I'm not, I'm not saying I disliked it. There is a very, Uh, that is if you were to boil down what just happened, he's breaking Steven's fingers for in exchange for more information. He, and I guess it is to test how serious Steven is. He's testing Steven's, uh, force of will and how you know how how serious and steely he is about this but also there's a very sort of sensual interplay where he like makes steven give him his hand and like plays with his fingers for a while and it's like i don't think you're willing to pay the price for this information and he's like i am he's like are you sure are you willing to pay the price and he's like yes and then he snaps his pinky finger and then he squats down on the ground and starts whispering a bunch of expository information to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> then stops halfway through and forces him to go through the whole thing again. Right. Breaks another finger. He only breaks two. Because he then only he, breaks two. He realizes Steven how serious is Steven wi- is. He's willing to get more fingers broken. Yeah. But Creighton says, well, this next piece is on the house. Yeah. And so uh, what does he tell him exactly? <laughs> Um, so he tells him that Jason wants a new body. He needs to be reborn again and he needs Jessica to do it. And Steven's like, why Jessica? It's like, this is very, Oh, okay. So this is a very, very expensive question. I don't think you have what it takes to pay the price. And this is the information that he gives uh, on the house. Uh, and he says in a Voorhees, he was born through a Voorhees. May he be reborn. Only by the hands of a Voorhees will he die. So that basically sums up mm-hmm. the mythos of why yeah. Jason is the way he is now. Checks out as far as I'm he concerned. He says it as if we should know this already, which we don't. It's like I, I, it's dis- like saying, I disagree. Okay. Uh, so Diana is Jason's sister. Uh, and now he only has two blood relatives who uh, who can kill him, Jessica and her baby. I just think the sister thing is so lazy. It's so it's so lazy. 
What? So Mrs. Voorhees, Pamela Voorhees, mm-hmm. her son dies, but she has a daughter. Yeah. And then so she sacrifices everything to avenge her son. She was crazy. What happened to her daughter? Adopted. Is that is that? Did they say she's adopted in this? No, but I mean I that. I mean it's implied. That makes sense to me. Yeah. A crazy woman who's obsessed with her dead son probably doesn't get to keep her daughter. Yeah, so I guess so. Uh, but she doesn't commit murders, and I guess in '58 she did, and then she does again in '79. So there's like a whole two decades where she's or she's just being a mom, I guess. I don't know. Or she lost her daughter in '58. Who knows? You know, but I just, I mean, these are the types of things that just don't matter all that much to me in a Friday the 13th movie. Uh, so Steven cries for Randy, the good cop. And then, but it's actually all a ploy. Um, he, he grabs Steve, uh, Randy's gun and breaks out of prison basically to go rescue Jessica. Was there more to the scene that you wanted to add that you love so much? <laughs> Sorry. That's how you gearing up. No, I'm good. Thank you, though. Please, oh, okay. please okay. continue. <laughs> uh, so Vicky with her baby, I love this part, uh, goes back to the diner. Uh, the owner is just like never stops being a jerk about the baby yeah. or anything. Very oh, fun. Like, she's a fun actor. Rusty Schwimmer is her name, and she's done a lot of TV and movie stuff. Uh, yeah. She does a great job. She, she's just like a mile a minute. Yeah. Um, so she gets a call that Stevens es- escaped. So she, like she arms up the staff to be ready in case Steven should appear. And there's Ward, who I think is her son. Yes. <clears throat> Ward is her son. Also, Ward, not an actor. This is, I think, his only acting role. He's actually the film's security supervisor. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And then, um, oh, forgive me, for, I forget his name, but Leslie Jordan's character, uh, uh, I, I forget what his name is. Ends with a Y. I wrote it down at some point. It might be Shelby. Shelby? Yeah. Shelby. Yeah. That's what it is. And then, so what I love is Vicky puts the baby in a box in the back room, which is fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is definitely written by dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Steven's back there. He's never seen the baby before. Um, so my question is like, what the fuck did Steven do? That was so bad. He's never seen his child. It's his child, right? It is his child. Yeah. Uh, and then Ward feels bad for him and gives, gives Steven the keys to his car. Uh, so Steven goes to the old Voorhees house and the fucking evil dead Necronomicon is in there. Mm, Just sitting on a table sitting on a table um and he hears somebody else there he hides in a closet and sort of like partially falls through the floor and it's robert campbell from american case files and he's on the phone with his producer and he wants to do a segment from the Voorhees house and he even stole diana's body from the morgue yeah, it turns out, he's, a, turns out he's a real asshole that? turns yeah. out he's a real asshole he stole the body from the morgue. He hid it in a closet. And then he's like, and then I went home and I fucked her daughter. <laughs> he's like such a, such a creep. Uh, um, who would have guessed? And then, so he's doing this all for ratings. If that's not clear. And then Josh Jason bursts in and then spits the worm into Robert's mouth. 
and then this scene is this shit's fucking awesome josh with the worm like the soul of jason i guess right. whatever it is out of his body starts to melt and mm-hmm. it looks great it is very gruesome it was reminiscent of from beyond and society the uh yeah those uh it's he melts and so do you get the jaw shot in the r-rated version yes Yes. cool Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like a lot of the melting stuff was was there maybe they just hang on a couple of shots for a little bit longer i think they stay on him in that final like full body kind of writhing around uh after Um, after we'll tell everybody about the jaw thing first Oh, the jaw, like his, like a picture, his jaw is on the ground, like his head is on the ground and he lifts his head up and his jaw stays there. Yeah. And this like stringy, like pizza cheese of flesh (laughs) sticks onto it and like hangs down. It's disgusting. It is so gross. Yeah. And like, well, the thing that really got me is when he's leaning his head against the wall. Oh yeah. Pulls it away. And then like Nickelodeon slime, like gack like a bunch of his head sticks to the wall yeah it's gross um so i don't remember where they are oh jessica cries in the shower well so then campbell so then this this all happens he melts and then steven watches as campbell like comes to and realizes mm-hmm. that now Campbell is Jason. Is Jason, yeah. And he stalk right. he stalks out of the house. So then Jessica is at Diana's house then, mm-hmm. uh, crying in the shower or wherever she's staying, and Robert slash Jason cuts the power. Um she walks through the house, gets in a car. Man, sorry, this part like really didn't stick in my brain. <laughs> uh and then he grabs her. Um, Steven. Oh, that's right. Steven. She's in the car. He grabs her from behind. Steven comes to the rescue. Uh, and she's like rightfully freaking out because she doesn't know the fuck Steven's doing. He escaped from prison. Uh, he may have killed her mom. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And Robert punched the window. Steven runs the Robert Jason over. And then she's like freaking out, tells him to pull over. (laughs) <laughs> he calms her down by shouting shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> which i get it you know in a um, moment like that oh totally he catches her up to speed and then like she punches him and pushes him out of the car yeah. he's, he drives he, off yeah he tried he basically tells her like listen you just saw me kill him right right and she's like yeah yeah you're crazy yeah. and he's like he's not actually dead and she's like oh okay and then like punches him and runs away uh she goes to the sheriff's office in a panic and tells the sheriff that steven ran robert over uh randy the the guy who helped steven out previously finds him on the side of the road um they argue because obviously randy realizes he fucked up by <laughs> trusting him he grabbed his gun they point guns at each other a little fist fight they yeah, have, they have a tussle on the ground. It's I like this scene. There are lots of scenes uh, that I like that Eric's breezing past, but that's all right. I'm going to let him do things his way, so no big deal. <laughs> well, it's not that I'm breezing past. It's just that I've only written so much. Um, and uh, I did like that he that Stephen finds out that Jessica is at the police station, so he just gives himself up. Yeah, 
He says, cuff me. Uh, so Robert slash Jason arrives at the, at the police station, kills a cop body counts up to 10 and he kills the sheriff as he's trying, uh, wow. I really, really didn't do a great job. <laughs> Eric, stop paying attention to the movie at this point. There's a great, no, I just, I think, I think what, what happens with this movie is there's a lot of downtime. Then all of a sudden several things mm. happen very quickly. Well, there's um, a really great split focus shot when we cut back yes, to, we, the police yeah, station. Of course, I always take note of the split focus shots. Um, the split diopter they're yeah. using. Uh, yeah, the sheriff is on the phone and Robert comes in in the background. Yeah, and he accosts. Uh, it's what? Who does he jump on? Is it Jessica? No, no, no. Oh, it's actually the director. Oh, 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 you mean Jessica? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's trying to like pass the worm to Jessica's body. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the. And then uh, Steven comes in. I like there's Oh, yeah. Steven's being let in and he's handcuffed by Randy. Well, so and he does this like move where he jumps yeah. over his cuffs. Yeah. Also, we missed a body count. So he killed the sheriff. Did you get that? I said that. Yeah. Okay. I didn't say the body count, but okay, I said that. Cool. Yeah. He broke his he 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 hits him with an open palm and presumably sends his nose cartilage yeah. right into his brain. Like the last Boy Scout. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Steven like pulls a, a Robert Jesus fuck man uh, he shoots Robert with a gun he steals mm. a gun from a cop shoots Robert a bunch of times two cops come over to check on Robert and Robert bangs their heads together body count goes up to 13 there's some that real gore on their faces yeah, that was pretty quick in the cut I saw. I don't know if it's any different in the uncensored version. Uh, it is not different. What's funny is they actually include a shot of him getting shot in the head that isn't in this. So right before that scene of the head smash, there's an extra half second of blood, like the head shot to Campbell, Jason, and blood splattering all over the wall uh, mm-hmm. when, when he takes the final head shot from Steven, but... Yeah. No, the head smash uh, is the same in both versions. You also you keep implying that I'm skipping through stuff because I don't like this movie. Uh-huh. Which I think if you were to recall back to what I said, this movie would be perfectly fine to mediocre uh-huh. if it were called anything else. I don't dislike the actions that are happening on screen. Okay. I just dislike their connection to the series. Okay. So what is so, I want to so, make that clear. Do, so why why do you keep fucking stuff up then <laughs> because because sometimes you get tired when you're taking notes watching a movie <laughs> okay fair enough um and you think well that's a scene i can probably sum up pretty quickly <laughs> i would never know i'm not allowed to touch this part of the podcast no i you, you're more than welcome to you know what this is my pledge jason x take your take your best shot <laughs> You changed your mind in 10 seconds last time we talked about this. No, I'm not anymore. I, I want because I really wanted to do eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to give you a taste of your own medicine. That's fair. I don't want to take it away from you. I think you should do this part, but I just, you know, like you said, if you want me to see what it's like on the other side, you know. <laughs> so Creighton Duke is still in his cell. Um, that's important to know. 
Jessica and Steven run to the diner. Joey B's. Uh, Joey B pulls a gun on Steven because, of course, she's not caught up to what's happening. Mm-hmm. She tells her son Ward to check the station, tucks a gun into his waistband. He tucks a gun into his waistband, and I like that she tells him, hey, watch the willy. And he like, adjusts <laughs> it so it's not pointing at it's his like, dick. Mom. Yeah, he's one of those things. So. Some shenanigans ensue. I'm sure you want to get really in depth about this. This is like one of the best action scenes in the whole series. Yeah. So explain it then. So well, I didn't take I, jo- detailed Joey notes. Sh- Joey struggles with uh, Steven and shoots a circuit breaker accidentally. Yeah. The whole so this is this would be my style, and I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's like. I just want to put across to, to the listener at home. I want you to feel what it feels like to be in this scene, you know? So it's like... Sure. I mean, they've presumably watched it. Uh, you know, I think that's actually true of probably less than the half of our viewers based on anecdotal evidence that I've gathered. Did you know that? Okay. No, I did not know That's that. actually probably useful information for you to have. Yes. I have been told that they value your detailed synopses because a lot of our listeners do not watch these movies. So go ahead. Talk about your favorite action sequence of any film of the past <laughs> that you've seen of the past 20 years. Dickhead. Uh, <laughs> well, you probably have notes, right? I don't have notes. I mean, well, Joey shoots the circuit breaker. Jessica punches her out. Uh, and then outside we see that Robert Jason is there and he's with Ward. He grabs Ward. He, he snaps Ward's arm the yeah bone comes shooting through his his like forearm it's fucking gross 90 degree angle compound fracture it's oh, there's nothing more disturbing the, to me than bone coming through skin that's like yeah. that's gonna get me to scream did you ever see um a t- uh fuck that cell block 99 no um it's fucking gruesome and i know that that director has a lot of very problematic views that I probably don't jibe with, but he he's also did Bone Tomahawk. Did you ever watch that? Uh, no, but I've heard it's good and also very cool. violent. Very violent. There's so much bone snapping in. Um, <laughs> I forget that. It's like Attack on Cell Block 99. Brawl in Cell so Block 99. Brawl. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at Lodge badass of... Vince Vaughn. What? Oh, he's like jacked in that movie. <laughs> uh, a lot of good bone breaking. Okay. Um, Any hoosies. Uh, Ward dies. Body count is up to 14. Uh, Robert comes into the diner and everybody just fucking unloads on him. He's everything's going nuts. Um, he grabs Shelby, Leslie Jordan, puts his face in the deep fryer, which I thought was lame. I remember this being like more graphic than it actually is. Yeah. I I almost thought it was like a sink. He was putting his, it's a graphic idea, but it doesn't actually look that gruesome when he pulls it off. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of gunfire here. This is like a full-on action sequence. It's And there's like a lot of slow-mo. I really liked it. There's like a mm-hmm. lot of people firing off in all directions and stuff. Um, He elbows Joey in the face and like pushes her jaw yeah. like into her mouth. This implodes looks, her face, basically. It looks fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Body count's up to 16 now. 
Vicky, the lady who is watching the baby, I lost track of the baby at this point. I'm not sure where the baby is. Well, as far oh, as I remember, we know, I remember now. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. the baby's just in the back in a box. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking box. Hey, it worked out. It's like the best thing is like it's on a box, but also like on a shelf. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't argue with the results. That baby's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vicky shoots Robert slash Jason with a shotgun. In the unedited version, she blows off part of his cheek. It's, oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. That is cool. Um, she grabs some sort of spike. I was unclear on what it was. Uh, and like impales him mm-hmm. then he grabs her yeah. and like brings her back onto the spike and impales mm-hmm. her makes a vicky campbell shish kebab yeah <laughs> uh brings the body count up to 17 the baby's not there oh also uh, one more unrated thing after he impales her in the unrated version then he squeezes her head until blood and brains explode out of the top of her skull Oh my god! Yeah, that was not in the yeah. version that I and, saw. And she barfs blood and and like you know gore at him when she gets. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Man, all right. I want to see this unrated version. Uh, so the baby's not. Jessica looks for the baby, not there. Um, and so she drives off, leaving Stephen behind at the diner. And then he finds a note in the baby box <laughs> from Creighton Duke. He has the baby. Uh, and then I, I don't know. Maybe it says it's in the at the Voorhees house. He does. Or yeah. Just, it, he says, yeah. "Come alone to the Voorhees house." Uh, so Jessica arrives at the Voorhees house. Creighton Duke is there with the baby. He hands the baby over to her and tells her it's not about the money anymore. Anymore tonight, we can get that bastard. Tonight, we can send Jason Voorhees straight to hell for all time. And then he pulls out this fucking magical glowing dagger. Well, no, it's not magical and glowing yet. It's just a normal dagger. Then why did I write it's a magical glowing dagger? Because he throws it at Jessica. She catches it. Uh Uh-huh. And it turns into a giant glowing dagger with a bone hilt. Okay. So it is a magical glowing dagger. I just got the... The order of operation. Right. A well, wrong. because it, like, it transforms into its full into... self once it's clutched by a Voorhees. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is here that I wrote this movie sucks. <laughs> I don't know. The, yeah, the magical dagger, it starts to really lose me. I mean, um, I wrote LOL magic knife and I enjoyed it because <laughs> it was goofy. No, I mean you're not wrong. You're yeah, not wrong. It's I just, goofy. I hadn't been overcome by cynicism, you know. <laughs> uh and he tells Jessica that Jason will have jumped into a new body by now, so we can't trust anybody. Um and then he he like I, I don't I'm I apologize that I'm not getting every single action <laughs> here on on in the, in my notes. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to clarify what happens here, he falls through a trap door. And gets his leg impaled on some, like, rebar or something. Yeah, yeah. That's that's accurate. The sheriff appears, and he's, like, reanimated. He grabs grabs Jessica. Josh arrives, pulls a gun on him, 
she ends up stabbing the sheriff, but it's actually Josh who's the possessed one. Yeah. So she just like killed the sheriff? Yeah, I think so. Now that you mention it, I didn't really think about the ramifications of that, but it was one of those classic like he's the one who's possessed. No, he is. Uh, and they kind of have that interplay, but then the sheriff grabs her, so she stabs him. But yeah, you're right. Jason is actually inside Randy. Uh, Randy. Oh, why did I say Josh? I said, who's who the fuck is Josh? Uh, Josh was the old guy who the old cop. Oh, okay. Who melted? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I got yeah. my Randys and my yeah. Josh. Randy is the so for anyone who's confused, understandably, Randy is the young. <laughs> He's the dark-haired guy. Yeah, who was, like, sort of friends with Steven. Um, yeah, yeah, so it turns out Randy is the one who's possessed by Jason. So, yeah, she did just kill the sheriff who <laughs> managed to survive getting punched out by Jason and having his that's nose like, broken. That's like Wayne shooting the guy who just works on the ship <laughs> in Part 8. Yeah. Um, so Randy grabs the baby. Uh, oh, and he's talking too. I, I I didn't write down what he says, but he's saying stuff, and it's like it's weird that they're able to talk, like it's Jason talking through their bodies. Yeah, yeah. What does he? Say? Yeah, is he just kind of conversationally talking? Yeah, he... I don't remember. Yeah. I, I just wrote that it was weird that he talks. Um. So Stephen runs in, chops Josh's neck. It's weird and gruesome. It looks like ramen coming out of his neck. It like does. It That's what I wrote. Like, <laughs> yeah. It like splits him from like the clavicle mm-hmm. down to his like throat, and his like head separates yeah. from his shoulder. If you imagine there was like a hinge on one side of your neck, and you just like pulled your neck down towards your shoulder that's what the cut is like like his his head just like opens his neck up sideways and then yeah the heart which is now a heart demon i love this this is so fucked up uh. <laughs> yeah it like pushes its way out of his neck um through the ramen <laughs> through the ramen looks delicious i'm actually kind of hungry right now <laughs> I, want, I want some neck ramen mm-hmm. uh so, oh, in the basement, I noticed there's a crate that says Julia Carpenter on it for yeah. an Arctic exposition. Mm-hmm. Expedition, is that a? It's like a thing. Is that a thing reference? I believe it's a creep show reference, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, from What's the a... the crate. Oh, okay. Is that what it says on it? I well, I think that's what it is. Um, oh. Yeah, Arctic expedition. Yeah, I mean, I'm not positive, but I think so. But it could also be like a John Carpenter reference too, rolled into one, you know. Um, right, right. But uh, yeah, were you gonna describe the heart more? I don't want to cut you off, but it sounded like no, you go were for moving it. on. Okay. Yeah, I just figure it bears mentioning to uh, people listening that when the heart crawls out of the cop, now it's not just a heart; it's a monster demon baby heart with arms and a face and a tail. Yeah, it looks like a boglin almost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's worth noting. <laughs> it's gross and insane. And I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so this is a part that was very confusing in the version I saw. And I think uh-huh. it's more clear in the version that you saw. Okay. Because the worm demon goes into the basement. Yeah. Where Diana's dead body is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. 
and then we cut. We don't see anything. We just see that it goes down into the right. basement. So in the unrated version, the creature spots dead Vicky and then darts between her legs, which is a, a poor taste gag because uh, it mm-hmm. easily could have just gone into her mouth or something. But yeah, the implication being that the demon worm is now going to inhabit Vicky, which leads to a question. Diana. Oh, yeah, Diana, Diana, sorry. Diana. Um, so now he's born again through a Voorhees as the prophecy has fulfilled. Yeah, Steve, the prophecy is fulfilled. Yeah, Stephen asks Creighton during this scene, he says, wait, does, does the Voorhees woman have to be alive for Jason mm-hmm. to be able to, to inhabit its body? And he goes, no. And then he says, oh, shit, because he's down there right now with... Uh, Jessica's mother, and then Creighton knows a lot about how this this worm mm-hmm. demon uh, works. Uh, so Jason, he's finally back. The Jason that we all know and love, with a lumpier head, uh, bursts through the floorboards, mask and all. <laughs> I like that he has his mask. He's his back clothes. in action. Yeah, yeah. Um, that dagger, that magical glowing dagger, has had been you know, thrown under this dresser. And then Creighton says to Jason, he turns to him, he says, son of a bitch, you remember me? And I wrote, no, of course he doesn't. Who the <laughs> fuck are you? <laughs> really You're fun. really implying some, uh, <sighs> some backstory here that we're just not aware of. <laughs> Does Jason kill him? I wrote Jason kills him, but actually I think I looked it up after and he doesn't kill him. Who? I think they were actually going to even do Duke? spinoff with, with Creighton Duke. I mean, he breaks his back and he spits blood all over the place. But that's okay. that may be part of the so, uh, unrated version. I, I think that he does kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're also leaving it a little bit vague because okay. the director wanted to make like a spinoff movie sure. with him. I would have watched that. But I'm going to count it in my official body count up to 19. Uh, the dagger gets dropped into the basement. Steven, like, spears Jason, tackles him through a window. Uh, Jason clubs him with some pipe of some sort, some, like, long pipe. Jessica goes into the basement, grabs a knife. Oh, this is going to drive you nuts. Sorry. After a fight, Jason tosses uh, can Steven I, can, onto a jungle gym. I mean, let me just propose this. After a knockdown drag out fight where Steven and Jason <laughs> go toe to toe for like 45 seconds exchange blows, you don't have to have the, all the details written down. Just, you know, pretend that you don't have complete disdain for this and that, <laughs> you know, try to describe the scene. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, Jason X, man, we're going to get all the details. It's going to be a five hour long podcast. <laughs> we're. Um, and all the get ready for the the tidal wave of emails saying price should always do the summaries. Then <laughs> I will say, wonderful. <laughs> I can watch movies again. Uh, Jason tosses him onto a jungle gym. It flips over. I like the jungle gym. It's a weird little touch. It's it's from the birds. Oh no shit! Yeah, that's cool. Um. As Jason is distracted, Jessica plunges the knife into his heart. It starts to glow. Those orbs that we saw in the beginning pulse and come out, like shoot out of them like a Roman candle. Do you know what they're supposed to represent? 
Uh, no. They're all, all the stuff that shoots out of him are the souls of the people that he's killed. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. There's no reason anyone should know that. That's just what they were doing, you know. Um, Jessica kicks the knife in further. Always a good move. I always enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sky opens up. Light shines down on Jason. These crazy root and like demon hands. They're huge. From the ground. (laughs) They're huge. They pull him down. Uh, They also start to pull Steven down with him. Um, Jessica really takes a while to stay save steven <laughs> like really lets him get down there pretty yeah, far she takes like a long look where she's not even like really that concerned she's kind of just like hmm i guess he's getting pulled underneath <laughs> it's like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> what did he do <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly what did steven do uh but finally she thinks better of it and then she saves him um and then jason tries to grab for them but he can't do it he's pulled down we get a, a quick sunrise shot where our heroes are walking and then we cut to jason or we actually we don't see jason's basket we just see the ground some like dirt blows off the surface mm-hmm. revealing jason's mask and then freddy krueger's hand his knifed hand reaches up pulls the mask down and we hear freddy laugh yeah. And that is the censored R-rated version of Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. Tune in to Mike's follow-up <laughs> podcast where he does the director's cut. It'll go on for two more hours. Ugh. Every single punch will be accounted for. It's just, you know, trying to inject a little soul into it. That's all. Uh <laughs> Actually, it's funny that you mentioned the director's cut. So this is just the unrated version. For those who are interested, there is an actual director's cut coming on Blu-ray as part of a massive 12 Blu-ray series that is being released in October of this year. Um, And there's a ton of special features. All the deleted scenes we've talked about in the past movies are going to be on these discs. Oh shit! In retrospect, maybe we should have waited until next summer to do Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do? Because um, I'm sure as shit not sitting down and watching this whole series again in October. <laughs> oh no, God no! Um, well, you know what? Let, let's let's make a pledge. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do. We're just gonna cover all of these movies again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a retrospective single episode that will be eleven hours long. Um, I wanted to, this is a bit unconventional, but I think since this is a bit of an unconventional episode, um, I am on the Wikipedia for this movie and there is a little section called retrospective insight, which I thought you might find interesting. So there's two pieces of information here. One, the director, Adam Marcus in 2017 revealed Creighton Duke's intended backstory. A teenage Creighton was out on Crystal Lake with his girlfriend. Jason capsized their small boat and pulled the girl down into the lake. Creighton tried to save her, but could not. She was never seen again. Creighton vowed revenge, and from that moment on, he spent his life in the study and pursuit of Jason. He became a bounty hunter just to fund his work in taking down his nemesis. Hmm. So there's that piece of info for you. 
perhaps even more interesting and giving you a little bit more of the mythology that you love so much. Um, <laughs> Adam Marcus, the director, also intended for this film to be connected to the Evil Dead franchise. Hence, the presence of the Necronomicon in that scene we mentioned before. He stated... Pamela Voorhees makes a deal with the devil by reading from the Necronomicon to bring back her son. This is why Jason isn't Jason. He's Jason plus the evil dead. And now I can believe that he can go from a little boy that lives in a lake to a full grown man to zombie Jason. And that's why no one can ever kill this guy. That to me is a way more interesting mashup. And Sam Raimi loved it. Um, hmm. So the idea is that Adam Marcus believes that Jason Voorhees is actually a deadite. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that kind of alludes to the Freddy versus Jason sequel that never happened. Mm -hmm. Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, which would have brought that all full there, circle. I guess. There is a comic book. Uh, that was, oh, really? Yes. I have not read it, but while that movie was not made, they did make a comic of it and we should check that out. I would, I yeah, would definitely check read that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Uh, okay. So body count uh, is, by my estimation, 19. You know, it gets a little confusing when people are switching bodies and all this stuff. So mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong. Write into me. Let, let me know if I did miss that. Uh, favorite character. Um, I would say for myself, because I, A, love the name, and I think the character is ridiculous in a very fun way. I enjoy Creighton Duke. <laughs> um, he might be my my fave of the bunch. It, um, it literally just occurred to me what Creighton Duke is. Like Michael Crichton? or No. Creighton and Duke are two perennially successful NCAA basketball teams. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Wow. I yeah, it almost has to be where they came up with that name from. <laughs> it's a wonderful name. It is. <laughs> it's great. Um, Mike, who would you say is your favorite character? Um, I alluded to this a little bit in my defense of the movie in the introduction, but I really like Stephen. Um, mm -hmm. I like uh, John Lemay as an actor. He didn't do a whole lot after this, which I think is unfortunate because I did like him in the series. And I think he's good here. Um, mm -hmm. He is. I mean, this is going to sound it's accidentally sexist, but like he might be my favorite protagonist from any of these movies in terms of like, he's, he's just, he goes through the entire movie being relatively smart making mm -hmm. making smart decisions he is brave uh he tries very hard to protect all of the people he cares about even though you know he fails at various points in time mm -hmm. um i like all of his interactions with randy all of like the scene that i complained about you glossing over like i actually really like the scene of them getting into a fist fight and then like drawing guns on each other and like he has this sort of friend frenemy dynamic and yeah, just overall, I think he's like a surprisingly solid protagonist for one of these movies because they're usually kind of lame. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are a handful of the final girls that I do like a lot. Um, you know, we talked about part two uh, and there's a few more, but I think that's definitely my pick. It's and it's kind of it's funny because it's kind of it would be vanilla 
for most movies, but I think because of the way that this series is put together, it's one of the it's 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 a welcome change here for me. Um, yeah, and there's something I I do want to point out that I I actually think most of the performances in this movie are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really any stinkers in in the acting. It's definitely a higher level of acting than we usually get from Friday. Yeah, I mean, certainly better than eight or I mean, m- most things are better than eight. So. <laughs> It was a piece. Uh, it was a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the moment that aged the worst, I don't really know that I have one other. Oh, you know what? I mean, I think maybe we can both agree. The little girl in a pink dress. Little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog and a pink donut. Yeah. I, I don't even, even say pink donut. It. it was just a donut. No, I think he says pink donut. Does he? I'm I, pretty sure that's what I have to go down. listen to it a third time today. <laughs> um yeah that's probably my uh so best death oh did you have a did you have one that differed from that or no i think we're in lockstep on both of these uh yeah the little girl with the donut and yeah tell i mean i think we all know what the best death is oh yeah i mean i've said it right at the very start the the sadly censored street sign through the tent in the body that was so fucking rad. It's yeah. it's great. I mean, close behind it, the body melting also looks really good. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely like my top. Mm-hmm. And just shout out in general to the deaths in this movie. They're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh where did this movie fall on the Carpenter scale? Uh, that's actually something I hadn't really thought about, uh, which I probably should have thought about. Um, hmm. I mean, here's here's my thing. Uh, if I'm arguing to move it slightly higher up the Carpenter scale than normal, it would be for these reasons. One, are you freaked out by hell and demon stuff? Right? Because if, if you find that stuff scary, which, like, I'll say that this is a movie that I think I thought was scary when I was a kid. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't now. I also don't think most things are scary now. Um, yeah. But like the demon stuff at the end, I remember being scared by when I was younger. Like all the hands mm-hmm. coming up out of the ground. I think it mm-hmm. still is is cool. And then also, like specifically, the melting death is like horrifying in mm-hmm. a way that most of this series is not. Um, now it's also goofy in a lot of places, but I think at least for those two reasons, it like ends up on the higher side of a Friday the Thirteenth movie for me. Um. Yeah. So okay, maybe I would propose an in the mouth of madness. Perhaps. How's that strike you? I'm only trying to figure out if it's slightly too generous. Uh huh. You know, I really got to go watch vampires again. <laughs> so we yeah, can get I know. This scale right. <laughs> I know. I, I that is actually one of them that I need to. <laughs> I also need to uh, rewatch. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it. Vampires kind of feels right though. Do, do you want to just without like almost sight unseen? Let's just call it a vampires. Let's call it a vampires. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Okay, and then uh, so are we gonna do our new scale of uh, yeah? Let's not pass or fail. Uh, Mary fuck Gil. How do you feel about this movie? 
Uh, for me, this is a fuck, I think. Um, yeah. It's not, this is not like a great Friday the 13th movie, certainly. It's also not on my like trash heap of Friday the 13th movies. I think it is a flawed, interesting movie in this series that has, like, it's almost like it has, it's, it's a movie of extremes because it has some really good stuff going for it. And then... To Eric's point, it has some things that really are... Con- I mean, like all the defense I did of the storyline, it is confusing, and it's certainly not necessary. Um, but I just, like... It didn't drag me all the way down. And for that reason, I would I would fuck this movie. I would fuck this movie, too. Um, yeah, I think the gore is great. There, there are aspects... Like I said, if it were something... If it were another... Just a standalone movie... It would be one that I would probably revisit. Yeah, I mean, I might, you know, might still. Re- I, I've seen it a couple times at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it, it. You know what? Oh, I meant to say this earlier. It's never boring. This is true. Which is which is something that is really like if you're gonna kill, uh, in my opinion, in a movie, it's because it's boring. And this movie is never boring. Yeah. Right on. All right, I think those are all the thoughts we have to share about. Jason goes to hell the final Friday. Yeah. At least until next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh so we're gonna go we're going to forego a final segment because we went so long in we the are, intro. We are in the two hour and twenty minute range currently on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um we appreciate you guys hanging with us for this long. Um and as always, if you would like to weigh in on this uh heated debate uh about whether or not eric should uh get the details right of the scenes in the last quarter of the movie uh yeah or or if you think that maybe there are more constructive ways that don't just tear down the podcast that people are listening to for two and a half hours uh and maybe just adding to some of the so you know if if let's say a uh a scene does get short shrift in your opinion. You could be like, you know, one thing I really liked about that scene in sort of yes, anding it okay. compared to just tearing it down. I that might be a good thing. I see what you're saying. Um, okay. Well, either way you email us and let us know what you think works best <laughs> at killstreakpod at gmail.com or go to our website. By the time this episode airs, we will have most likely switched over to our website designed by us, the podcasters. Um, and you can find us at killstreakpod.com. Uh, and yeah, you can go there to send us a message as well. Hell yeah. And um, once, uh, oh, I wanted to say uh, that Jason X is also on HBO Max. I don't know if there are different versions of that movie. It's something I'd have to see. I would say do your own research with all of these. Yeah. But uh, if you do have HBO Max, it is on there. I'm. Sh- I mean, it's a rental anywhere. You can find it wherever you get. You ever find movies. Mm-hmm. Um. So check it out. That will be coming up later this week. I guess next week. I don't know which episode, which day this one drops on. We're bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's gonna be a fun one, I'm sure. Uh, and as always, I'm planning on smoking a little dope, having some premarital sex, and getting slaughtered. <laughs>